morning and welcome to St. Columbus on this, the 20th Sunday after Trinity, for our service of Holy Communion. I welcome visitors, in particular, all of you are most welcome, and we turn to page 201 in our prayer books. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins, to intercede for us in heaven and to bring us to eternal life. Let us then confess our sins in penitence and faith, firmly resolved to keep God's commandments and to live in love and peace. <coughs> Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned in thought and word and deed, and in what we have left undone. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may walk in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy on you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness and keep you in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.
twentieth Sunday after Trinity. Almighty God, whose Holy Spirit equips your church with a rich variety of gifts, grant us so to use them that living the gospel of Christ and eager to do your will, we may share with the whole creation in the joys of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. This is probably the earliest of all New Testament documents. Silvanus and Timothy had been with Paul on the mission to Thessalonica, and he now reflects on how marvelously the converts' lives had been changed as the Holy Spirit touched them. The epistle is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of people we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place where your faith in God has become known so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. This is the word of the Lord.
We continue to read Matthew's account of Jesus challenged by religious authorities. Here, it is a trick question about secular authority and where the primary loyalty of a religious person should be directed. Hear the Gospel of our Saviour Christ according to Matthew, chapter 22, beginning at verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us, then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give, therefore, to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. This is the Gospel of the Lord. May I speak in the name of our ever-living and ever-loving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Have you ever wondered or done a little study as to what names mean, either place names or people's names. For instance, do you know anybody who is called Charis? Charis is a Greek New Testament word and it means grace. So Charis and grace, if you know anybody called grace, it's the one and the same name. And what does it mean? It means a free gift from God. What a lovely name. As well as that, if anybody knows somebody called Irene, Irene comes from the Greek word Irene, E-I-R-E-N-E, And Irene simply means peace, but not a secular kind of peace. It means the peace of God, an inner kind of peace, a contentment, 
even when troubles loom around us. So, charis and irene, meaning grace and peace. Now, St. Paul the Apostle was very fond of linking those two names together, not for any other reason other than their meaning, not in connection with people's names at all. But Paul uses grace and peace as an expression of God's deep love for his people, his care, his free gift, and his peace, which passes all earthly understanding. But as well as that, Paul was no dozer. Paul was nothing if he was not a diplomat. And so when Paul joins those two words together, grace and peace, what he was actually doing was combining the traditional Greek and Hebrew salutations. He was putting those two together. So therefore he was binding together the Greek world and the Hebrew world in those two words, grace and peace. And that is why St. Paul uses those two words together in every one of his letters, or at least every one of the letters we possess. We know that letters have been lost. But in all the letters in the New Testament, he always begins with grace and peace, bringing the Hebrew and the Greek salutations together. Now, a quick glance and only a quick glance, at the background of the letter to the Thessalonians, the first letter and the second letter, because we read those lessons from now for the next three or four Sundays. Paul had embarked on the second missionary journey, and he had taken Timothy and Silas, or Silvanus, Silas and Silvanus are the one and the same name. One is a Greek translation and one is a Hebrew translation. Don't ask me which for I haven't a clue. But anyway, they're the one and the same person. Silvanus is never mentioned in the Acts of the Apostles. It is always Silas, so that's how we know it's the same person. But anyway, he embarks on this second of three missionary journeys. And the thing about it is that on the second missionary journey, Paul is now taking the gospel from Asia Minor into Europe. That's the important thing. He was bringing the gospel now across the Aegean Sea into Europe itself. And he goes way up north to what was called Macedonia. It's now all part uh, of northern, northern Greece. And he and, Philip, he and Silvanus and Timothy go to a place called Philippi, is up north. Now, the thing about it is there were many Jews around there, and they treated Paul 
and Silvanus and Timothy and the early Christians that they were converting very, very badly. So badly, you can actually read all this, uh, read it for yourselves. It's Acts chapter 16, 17. It makes wonderful, fantastic reading. Go home and read it tonight for your, your, before you go to bed. Acts chapter 16, 17, it's all there. And so Paul uh, uh, and the, the, the Christians there were driven out from Philippi by the traditional Jews, the Orthodox Jews, who wouldn't hear tell of anything that they were saying. Who is this person whom they call the Messiah? Uh, somebody who died on the cross and rose again? Nonsense. Do you think we're going to accept any of that at all? So they drove Paul away out of Philippi, and they traveled a little further to, uh, to Thessalonica or Thessaloniki, as it is today. Thessalonica is a major, or was in its day, a major port for lots of ships coming in from different parts, uh, different countries, different parts of the, the known world. And of course, there was a huge trade area. And Paul, we're, we're told in Acts chapter 16 that Paul preached there in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. But again, it didn't go down terribly well. Now Thessalonica, because it was a, a, a trade uh, with many different peoples uh, going in and out of Thessalonica, uh, what happened was that there were many Gentiles arriving in that area. But it was also, also a stronghold for the Jewish community. And they had a huge synagogue in Thessalonica. And the inevitable happened. The traditional Orthodox Jews did not like Paul one bit or any of his preaching. And so he was in danger of his life. So the early Christians managed to take Paul and Timothy and Silas and they whisked them off to nearby Beroea. Now that is inland and a little further south from Thessalonica. And there Paul preached and converted many Greeks to Christianity. Ah, but the Jews in Thessalonica and in Philippi, they got wind of Paul's preaching there. So they chased after them and they drove him further south than that. They drove him from the province of Macedonia up north down south to the province of Achaia and that was where Athens was, way, way down south. And so Paul and Timothy and Silas ended up in Athens. And then they moved to Corinth, not all that far away from Athens. And so they preached in Athens, they preached in Corinth. But when in Corinth, Paul realized that the tiny Christian community, the young church left in Thessalonica, 
was going through hard times. Persecutions were rife. Not from the Romans, they didn't care, but from the Jews who were driving them out and trying to wreck their church and their faith. And so it was there in Corinth that Paul wrote his letter, probably a second one as well, but it's the first letter we're reading at the moment. Paul wrote his first letter to the Thessalonican church because he was worried that it was going to become totally extinct. And we're told, as we read, also at the introduction of uh, that, uh, that letter, that it was probably his earliest letter that he ever wrote to any of the churches. It dates way back to 52-53 AD, the earliest we possess anyway. And he was so worried about the Thessalonica church that he sent Silas and Timothy. So he said, go you back to Thessalonica and see for yourself what is happening. And they did. And Paul remained in Corinth. And Paul's heart was so warmed because after a while, in fact, he was a bit anxious. We read this in Acts chapter 17. He was a bit anxious that, uh, that, that Silas uh, and Timothy had not returned. He was probably thinking maybe they had been put to death. But they did return eventually. And they told him wonderful news that the church in Thessalonica was not becoming extinct in any way at all. It was growing fast and fast mostly from the Gentiles, of course, rather than from the Jewish community. But the tiny church was actually growing faster and faster. And this is why we read at the beginning of the, the, Thessal the first letter to the Thessalonians. I'll just read it again uh, briefly. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. There you are. Then he goes on to say, we always give thanks to God. Why? For all of you and mention you in our prayers constantly, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfast hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. In spite of persecution, you receive the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and also in Achaia. The church being persecuted, the Christians being driven out, was ever thus, wasn't it? We think of not only was Paul persecuted and the Christians, so was Jesus. What, did we, what do we read in the Christmas gospel? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And so he sent that letter by the hands of Silas and Timothy, who gladdened his heart and brought back to the church that it was brought back, that the church was growing. But the Jews were receptive, were not receptive, only the Greeks. And then we read further on 
Towards the end of today's passage, we thank you how you turned to God from idols. Well, of course, Thessalonica, being a, a, a great international port, would have had all the idols of the day, all the Roman idols, all the Greek idols. Everywhere they turned, there would have been idols of stone and wood all over the place. You could worship anything and everybody. But these people had turned from idols. Now, the very fact that Paul had to mention to them uh, that give thanks that they had turned from idols would seem to indicate that, that they were Gentiles. The Jews wouldn't have been at, Jews wouldn't have had the idols to begin with. It would have been the Gentiles who turned from these idols, surrounded by all these idols uh, that they had practiced themselves before their conversion. And Paul says that they had taken the courage and the strength to turn away from all these idols that they'd known from their childhood days to serve the living God. This is where the challenge, the challenge for us comes in. Because it makes us ask, is there anything in our own life that might come between us and our worship of God? Is there anything more important to us than God is? I think of the well-known hymn by William Kuyper in our hymn book, Oh, for a closer walk with God. Verse 5 reads, The dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne, and worship only thee. It's number 637 in your hymn book. And I just wonder, would Paul be just as excited to express thanks to God over our faith and our commitment? And our passage ended looking towards the second coming of Jesus. And it says, turned from idols to serve a living God and to wait, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. And so this passage now begins to point us towards the great themes of Advent, with the first of those themes beginning next Sunday, the fifth Sunday before Advent. And here, today, and this week, we bring to an end the long Trinity season as we now turn in faith to Jesus, whom God raised from the dead and who brings justice and judgment to the world. Now to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, to thee we ascribe all might, majesty, dominion, and glory, henceforth now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, 
true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you promised through your Son, Jesus Christ, to hear the prayers of those who ask in faith. Lord of your people, strengthen your church in all the world and build us up in faith and love. Harness the power of your church for the greater good. Help us as your faithful servants to break down barriers and prejudice by our words and deeds so that all may bear witness to your love. Let us be an open door to friendship, fellowship, and faith. And in these difficult times, we think especially of fellow Christians throughout the world who steadfastly continue to worship you despite very real and present danger. We give thanks for our thriving church community at St. Columbus, and for all who give of their time and talents in many different forms to support it. Bless John, our Archbishop, David, our Bishop, our clergy, John, Ken, Walter, and our lay reader, Karen. Build us up in faith and love. Lord, in your mercy. Lord of creation, look with favour on the world you have made. Guide the nations in the way of justice and of peace, and bless Charles our King and all in authority. Heavenly Father, you gave us a beautiful world and entrusted it to our care. Help us to treasure it and to share its spoils equally among nations, so that all may be free from hunger, thirst and homelessness. We bring before you the troubled areas of the world, and especially at this time, Israel and Palestine. Be with those who mourn the loss of loved ones in horrific circumstances, those who have been injured, those who are being held hostage, and with all who live in fear of the ongoing hostilities. Be too with those striving for peace. Give them the wisdom and grace to find a way forward. Lord, in your mercy. Lord of our relationships, Comfort and sustain the communities in which we live and work. We give thanks for the businesses, schools, medical facilities, care homes in our surrounding area and bless all who work in the local community. 
Bless too those who are struggling financially and are feeling stressed. We give thanks for the various charities and food banks who work to relieve the situation. And we bring before you those who have lost their way in life, those who have fallen into addiction, those who are in prison. Help them find the support they need and to know your love so that they may find a path back to a happier and more stable life. Help us to love our neighbours as ourselves, enable us to serve our families and friends and to love one another as you love us. Lord, in your mercy. Lord of all healing, relieve and protect those who are sick or suffering. Be with those who have any special need and deliver all who know danger, violence or oppression. As we approach the even busier time for our hospitals, GPs and the ambulance service, we give thanks for all who work therein. We ask that you give them the strength, energy and resilience to provide their skillful care with compassion and competence. We pray for those who are in pain or are anxiously awaiting treatment or test results, that they may find reassurance in knowing that you are with them always. And we recognise and ask for your blessing on the hospital chaplains and on the valuable contribution they make to patients and their relatives. Lord, in your mercy. Lord of eternity, Lord, we give you thanks for the lives of those who have died and gone to be with you in your heavenly kingdom. Comfort those who mourn that they may find solace in you and the strength to face the future. Bind us together by your Holy Spirit in communion with all who, having confessed the faith, have died in the peace of Christ, that we may entrust ourselves and one another and our whole life to you, Lord God, and come with all your saints to the joys of your eternal kingdom. Merciful Father, accept accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. We do not presume to come to this, your table, merciful Lord, trusting our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord, whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. Christ is our peace. He has reconciled us to God in one body by the cross. We meet in his name and share his peace. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you.
Lord, yours is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all things come from you and of your own we give you. Be present, be present, Lord Jesus Christ, our risen High Priest. Make yourself known in the breaking of bread. Amen. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. The Lord is here. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Father Almighty, never living God, at all times and in all places, it is right to give you thanks and praise. And so with all your people, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we proclaim your great and glorious name, forever praising you and singing. Blessed are you, Father, the creator and sustainer of all things. You made us in your own image. Male and female, you created us. Even when we turned away from you, you never ceased to care for us. But in your love and mercy, you freed us from the slavery of sin, giving your only begotten Son to become man, and suffer death on the cross to redeem us. He made there the one complete and all-sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. He instituted, and in his holy gospel, commanded us to continue a perpetual memory of his precious death until he comes again. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks to you, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. 
Therefore, Father, with this bread and this cup, we do as Christ your Son commanded. We remember his passion and death. We celebrate his resurrection and ascension, and we look for the coming of his kingdom. Accept through him, our great high priest, this our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. And as we eat and drink these holy gifts, grant by the power of the life-giving Spirit that we may be made one in your holy church and partakers of the body and blood of your Son, that he may dwell in us and we in him. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, by whom and with whom and in whom, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honour and glory are yours, Almighty Father, forever and ever. Amen. As our Saviour Christ has taught us, so we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. The bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. We be many are one body, for we all share in the one bread. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, who has taken away the sins of the world. Happy are those who are called to his supper. Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word, and I shall be healed.
Let us pray. God, our Father, whose Son, the light unfailing, has come from heaven to deliver the world from the darkness of ignorance. Let these holy mysteries open the eyes of our understanding that we may know the way of life and walk in it without stumbling. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us the spiritual food, the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you always. Amen.
Thank you all very much for being with us on this glorious autumnal morning. And after all the wind and rain, I do hope that you can enjoy the benefit of this crisp day as the day proceeds. I want to encourage all of our parish organizational leaders and their assistants to participate in the Diocesan Safeguarding Trust training on Tuesday evening. This is very, very important. It's online, and if you haven't already got the details, would you please contact me later today or tomorrow? Compliance with safeguarding is essential for all of us, and I myself also have to participate in these diocesan training schemes. And they are online, so we can do it from the comfort of our own homes, and I really want to encourage all of our leaders to do this and to have the benefit of this training on Tuesday night as our Safeguarding Trust panel here in St. Columbus, Dr. Elizabeth Leonard, Mr. Patrick Good, and myself can say honestly, we are fully compliant. And to do that, I'm asking for support from all of our leaders and their assistants to participate on Tuesday night and do contact me if you don't have the details. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. <laughs>